0: Father God, it is so fun to look back at the beginning and to look at your grace, your creation, um, and it's sad to see our failure. But God, we thank you for your redemption and your plan of redemption. God, I ask as we open up the scriptures today that we can see your plan unfold and learn more about you and love you more through that process. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, we will be Genesis chapter 3 through 5 this evening. Uh, We tackled Genesis 1 and 2 last week. Um, The first 11 chapters is broken up really into four main events. There's the creation, the fall of mankind, and the result of that. That's what we'll be dealing with tonight. The flood, which we'll be dealing with next week. And then sort of the aftermath of what happens after the flood and how people still just will not follow God. And then the rest of Genesis is broken up into God setting up the Hebrew race and his chosen people to be a light to the world. And that starts with Abraham in chapter 12. Uh, but we are tonight in chapter three dealing with the fall of mankind and seeing how the scriptures are put together. There's a couple things I want to point out from last week that we didn't get to. Um, You know, we're talking about the origins of things. Genesis is really about origins. We talked about the origin of the universe, matter, time, space, energy. We talked about the origin of life. We talked about the origin of prophecy and how the seventh day rest really even points us to the cross and what Jesus did during Passion Week. We talked about how it's the beginning of biblical numbers and numerology and how important they are. There's a little something interesting about the first five books of Moses in relation to the number seven that I think you'll find interesting and something that I, I don't want to skip over because it shows us the clear design in God's word. And it's actually one of the ways we can authenticate text as we go back in time and we get older and older copies and we can say that this has not been tampered with. So, interesting thing about the book of Genesis, when you get in Hebrew, when you get to the first Tav, which is the equivalent of the English T, right? When you get to the first T, you see that every 49 letters, which is seven squared. Why is seven squared an important number? Well, it's like completion upon completion. It's like the ultimate completion. 49 becomes a particular, particularly important biblical number as we look through the history of the Jewish nation, and we'll get to some of this. But the Jewish nation existed for 490 years where they didn't follow God's plan of resting the Sabbath for the land, and that's why they were exiled into Babylon for 70 years because every seven years they were supposed to let the land rest, so God let the land rest for 70 years. All of these are multiples of seven. So you're starting to get the picture that seven is important. Now you look at the genealogy in Matthew, the 49th name, in the genealogy of Matthew, is Jesus. So 49 is a pretty important number. So seven times seven. All right, now, in, the, in the, the Hebrew, you get to the first Tav, every 49th letter throughout the rest of the book of Genesis goes like this. I'll give you the English equivalent. T or Tav, O-R-H, T-O-R-H, all the way to the end of Genesis. What does that spell? Torah. The Torah is the name of the first five books of the Bible. Now that sounds very coincidental and unique. The interesting thing is the exact same thing happens in Exodus. When you get to the first Tav, again, the same thing happens, T-O-R-H, T-O-R-H, all the way through the book of Exodus, and it spells Torah. This phenomenon stops when you hit Leviticus. We'll come back to that. When you get to the book of Numbers, it picks up again. When you get to the first heh, which is the H in Hebrew, it spells Torah backwards, it's H-R-O-T, H-R-O-T, every 49 letters in the book of Numbers. And then interestingly, the same thing happens in Deuteronomy. So you have Torah spelled one way every 49 letters when you get to the first Tav in Genesis and Exodus, and then in Numbers in Deuteronomy, you have Torah spelled the other way. And then what about Leviticus? Is there something interesting about Leviticus? Well, yes. When you get to the first Yod, or Y, to our language in Hebrew, in Leviticus, every seven letters does this, Y-H-W-H, Y-H-W-H, which is the name of God without the vowels, um, yad he vad he or Yahweh, or Jehovah. And so hidden within the text of the scripture, and this exists in every format, every document, we, ancient document we found of these Hebrew scriptures you have Torah spelled one way, hidden in the text, in Genesis and Exodus. You have Torah spelled backwards in Numbers and Deuteronomy. And in the middle, the third book of Moses, you have Yahweh. So in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, in the first five books written by Moses, the Torah always points to Yahweh. This is really interesting, and it's one of the ways we've completely authenticated and made sure that there hasn't been discrepancies in the text in the ancient Hebrew, when we find older or newer documents throughout history. And this always is the case. So, beginning of numerology, also a very interesting study, and I think even gives us more understanding that the Word of God is divinely inspired and scripted by Him. Because, I don't know about you, but I certainly could not write a message, five huge long books, that has that same exact pattern and make sense. It just it just wouldn't happen. And so it is very interesting that that goes on. So let's now dump, jump into chapter three. I wanted to get that out of the way before we moved on. So chapter three. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? There's a couple things we want to get to here. One, the serpent. The Hebrew word is nakash, which serpent might not actually be. Serpent or snake might not actually be the best translation for the word. If you've ever wondered why a snake was talking, um, the it can also actually be translated the shining one, which sounds very much like the description of Lucifer in other portions of scripture, like in Isaiah, when he was described as the morning star. He's a bright and shining commander of the army of the Lord. He was a bright, shining example. He can portray himself as an angel of light because he once was an angel of light. So the shining one uh, or the serpent. Now we'll go with the translation, but I just want you to understand maybe that'll help this story become a little more real to you when you read this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Uh, And he said you shall not eat any tree of the garden. Well, he's already lying. We know that God, when he created everything, he said that it was good. And there's only one rule, don't eat of one tree. And he's already trying to twist and manipulate God's word. And he says, are you really not supposed to eat of any tree of the garden? And so this is the response. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. The serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's twisting God's word. He says, is it really true that you're not supposed to eat any tree of the garden? God's word is twisted. Eve's response is also twisting God's word. Now, we don't know if she came up with this in herself, in her own form of legalism, or if Adam did this or if that's what he told her to protect her because he was the one who received the command from God that said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But Eve says, not only should we not eat it, we shouldn't touch it. So what happens when Eve tests the boundaries because she's all, the, the foundation of legalism already exists, and it's in, the second, it's in the third chapter of Genesis. Human beings have just started out, and we're already trying to create extra rules around God's. And Because her rules aren't God's word, when she touches the fruit, nothing happens. So, what do you think? Well, if the rules she made up don't work, she's going to eat it. And that's what she does. So, then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, right? God knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him, with your eyes open, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit. And ate. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. So let's notice that Adam is right there. He is not surprised. He's not shocked. He doesn't know that he's not surprised at where this fruit came from. He was right there when Eve picked it, and the serpent was talking to her. So when then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Again, this is the human condition of legalism. They, they failed. They did not follow through with God's word. And they knew that they did something wrong, and they are suddenly now self-conscious. For the first time, now they start having vanity because they realize they made a mistake. Uh-oh, I'm naked. And so they sew together fig leaves to cover themselves up. They do their best to cover themselves up. Let's see what God does with that. Then... The Lord God called to Adam, and he said, where are you? I like that God communicates with us in a way that will help us understand. God knows where Adam is, but he's trying to coax this out of Adam. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So he's now self-aware and self-conscious and vanity, and he's ashamed of himself because he realized he did something wrong, and he can't confront God with it. He's afraid. He's afraid. God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, so God is saying, did you do what I told you not to do? And then he says, the woman. That's it. It's her fault. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So Adam, the blame game, right? This is what we do. We try to pass the blame on somebody. It can't be my fault. I didn't screw up. She screwed up. It's her fault. And not only is it her fault, you're the one who gave her to me, God. This is really, this is on you. You should have, you should have seen this coming. That doesn't really go over well with God. So the woman says, the serpent deceived me and, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, uh, which by the way, she does the same thing. She goes, oh, it wasn't me. It's not like I went and disobeyed you. The serpent tricked me. Not really. You knew what you were doing, Eve. So Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is extremely important. So he's going to be eating of the dust for the rest of the days of his life. Well, what does Jesus actually call Satan? He calls him the prince of, prince of the air, the prince of the earth. He's been cast down to earth, right? He might still have access to heaven. He might still be able to go to God like he does in the book of Job, but he's cast down to earth. This is his domain. He's eating dust, right? And then he'll be cast down to the bottomless pit and then eventually into the lake of fire. So this is true, but this, this little conversation, right? The serpent will have enmity between him and the woman, between him and Eve, she's going to bear a seed. And then it even gives us the fact that the seed will be a he, right? He will bruise your head, serpent, and you shall crush, or you shall bruise it. He'll crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. This is the first time we see this very specific prophecy about who the Redeemer is going to be. God tells Eve, one of your descendants, one of your male descendants is going to be the redeemer of this. He's going to crush the sin problem of Satan. In the process, he will bruise your descendant. Jesus was beaten and bruised and put on a cross, but he defeated sin and death. That is the fulfillment of this. But now the picture is becoming clear and the spiritual war begins. A little bit has been revealed. There's a little bit. There will be a seed and it will be a a male descendant from Eve, in which the redemption will take place. This is all the devil has to work on now because he's no longer in God's inner circle. So this is the information he has to work on, and this is where the spiritual war begins. And you'll see this play out as we go through the rest of the scriptures. So keep this in mind. As God reveals, you'll see the reaction and the spiritual warfare that goes on. So then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded, saying, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, In the sweet, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return." So Adam, is, he's saying, look, the ground is now cursed. Life is going to be hard. Work is going to be hard. You're going to be toiling all the days of your life, and it's going to be a lot harder than it was for you in the garden. And Adam's wife, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So Adam calls his wife, brings her over. Um, God makes tunics of skin and clothes them. So he's told them, there will be a seed out of Eve for which the redemption comes. He will crush the head of the serpent. I will bruise the seal. And then he paints them a picture of what it's going to look like. Where did the skin come from? An innocent death of an animal. So this is the first time you see the lamb being sacrificed in clothing and covering. Because the fig leaves wouldn't do it. Man's own efforts did not cover up the shame of Adam and Eve. Instead, innocent needed, innocence needed to replace guilt. Blood needed to be shed. On the guilty's behalf, innocent blood needed to be shed. So he paints a picture right away of how the redemption story will play out. All right? Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. You also take take the tree of life. You are also now, lest he be put out of his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, Eden a flaming sword, which, which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So God has now removed Adam and Eve from the garden of Eden. You are not allowed to enter. You are not allowed to eat of the tree of life anymore. He, God is protecting them from eating of the tree of life because if they ate of the tree of life, they would then have everlasting life dipped in their sin before their redemption takes place. That's why, as we studied in Revelation, you are able to eat of the tree of life after in eternity because the redemption has taken place and you are now pure before God, and then you can eat of the tree of life so that you don't live forever in sin. You live forever in purity and in righteousness. So this is a merciful measure to kick them out of the garden, not so much a harshness. All right, now Adam... Chapter 4 is weird, all right? So we're going to talk about this. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So the name Cain that she gave him, this is what it means. It means I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, remember the promise she just got. I know that a, a male child from a descendant of Eve will be the Redeemer. And so she has one. And she names him Cain as, I've acquired a man from the Lord, or I've acquired the man from the Lord, the one that he's promising me. And this is sort of the idea in their heads. And then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So one's a farmer, one's a shepherd. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering to the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. He did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So Cain's upset. God doesn't accept his offering. Why? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And what is your, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. So well, he's basically saying, listen, do what's right. If you understand what's right and you're following me and you're following this relationship that you and I have, Cain, um, then you're going to do well. But be careful. Sin is always looking to tangle you up, Cain. So Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said, Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall become on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. It will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And when the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on them sevenfold. Seven is there again. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So here's what's happening. Cain, Eve thought he was going to be the one. He thought he was going to be the guy, their firstborn son. He they thought God had promised them a redeemer through a male descendant of Eve. And she had Cain and she goes, oh, this is it. I love Cain, he is, he's the one, he's my acquired man of God. Cain ends up being the first murderer, so Eve's plans didn't really work out. We'll talk about that in just another second. And we'll get in here to the family of Cain. Now when Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, the east of Eden, uh, Cain knew uh, his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city uh, after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mah- Mahuial, and Mahuial begot Methushel, and Methusel begot Lamech. Then Lamech took himself two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the second was Zala. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of this. We're going to skip down to verse 25. And it says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So ultimately, here's what happened. Eve thought, Cain is the guy. He's my acquired man of God. But then they live their lives. They start doing their, their duty. One becomes a farmer. One becomes a shepherd. Abel comes, and he brings an an offering to God, and he brings the best. He brings the, the fat of his flock, the perfect, the best, the first of his flock. He brings everything in humility to God because he doesn't see himself as the answer. He's not so proud of himself, but he brings God the best of what he has. God accepts that offering. Abel, the gardener, the farmer, brings God an offering, and Abel seems to be a bit proud of himself. He's probably been the favorite of Adam and Eve his whole life. He's probably been seen as the chosen son, and he's a little full of himself. And so he's bringing God an offering, not out of humility, but out of pride. Look what I did for you, God, and God doesn't accept that. And he challenges Cain, be careful. Sin is always looking to get get control of you. And Cain becomes the first murderer. Now they have no son. Both Cain and Abel are dead. Now there's a question. Cain has a family, so there's always the question of the biblical people who want to uh, argue about where to, well, if God really created this, then here's the question. Where did Cain's wife come from? We don't hear about this in the scriptures. Well, that's a silly argument. You'll see in chapter 5, when we go through the genealogy from Adam to Noah, at the end of Adam's life, it says that he had other sons and daughters. That's where Cain's wife came from. So the reason, so why? What is, this, what is the reason that this focus on Cain and Abel? What is this about? It's about this spiritual warfare. Satan, the, the enemy, was given some information. The prophecy was set forth. A male child out of Eve will be the redeemer. Well, they again expanded on God's word, and they gave Cain the name, the acquired one of God, and they treated him like he was the answer. So what did, what did the enemy do with this information? He made Cain the first murderer instead of the redeemer. And the spiritual warfare begins. The devil gets some information, and he tries to turn it around on God. But what happens? Adam and Eve have another son named Seth. And Seth means appointed. The name Seth means appointed. And the scripture tells us, for God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Because of the two sons they did have, while they thought it was going to be Cain, Abel was the one that God accepted. But they were both dead. So God places another son in their midst, and he, the back and forth of the spiritual warfare begins, and God gives them Seth, the appointed one. Now we'll see this genealogy. Here's what I would like you to do as I read through this genealogy, because I'm going to read through it as fast as I can. Every time you see a new name, write that name down. So for instance, I'll say, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Write Adam down, because it's a new name. In that day, God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind, which is, that's what Adam means. And in that day they were created, and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. It's a new name, so write it down. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. That's where Cain's wife came from. So all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years, and he begot Enosh, new name. Write it down. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 800 years and seven years and and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. Write that down. Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. That's a long name. Write that one down. Mahalalel, new name. After he begot Mahalalel, it's fun to say, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared, new name. Don't forget it, Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahalal lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalal were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. New name. Don't forget to write down Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. There's something at the end of every single one of these you see, except for the next one. This is the fall of mankind and the result thereof. Every person does what? Die, right? God promised. It happens. Now we have Enoch. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah, new name. Write it down. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch didn't die. First time that happened. God took him. This is very similar to 1 Thessalonians 4, when we see that we will be caught up with Christ. This is a very similar word, but in Hebrew. And it's to be snatched away, to be taken. This is The first example we get of the rapture. Um, And Enoch, by the way, is actually, even though he's here in the Old Testament, and he's here before the flood, Enoch is talked more about in the New Testament than the Old Testament. Enoch is talked about in the book of Hebrews and the book of Jude. And what it tells us is that Enoch was a man who was prepared and he was sharing the coming judgment with those around him. And he even prophesied seeing the Lord coming with tens of thousands of his saints, which is the picture we get of Revelation 19 of Jesus coming back. And so Enoch was a man who was prepared. He was he saw the judgment coming. He wasn't afraid to preach it and he wasn't afraid to be prepared and tell other people that they need to be prepared. That's what we learn from the New Testament. And so, as a man who was prepared, who followed God, and who was preaching God's word, he was taken before the judgment, before the flood, and he never died. So this is a picture of the rapture. We'll come back to this in just a moment. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. Lamech, new name. Don't forget to write it down. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, and he begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah. It's a new name. This is the last one you're going to have to write down. Noah, saying, this one will comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, which Noah actually means comfort or rest, because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters, so all of the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Actually, now the chapter breaks are not a part of the original scripture. I think if there was, this might be something where that last verse might actually belong in chapter six, as we move on to the the family who makes it through the flood with Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But that's neither here nor there. This genealogy, while As I read it, you may have been snoozing because it's one of the most boring chapters in the Bible. Until you look deeper. And then it becomes one of the most exciting chapters in the Bible. Why? Here's one of the things that gives us a little bit of a hint. We already know the story of Cain and Abel. And the spiritual warfare that took place. But then a new son was appointed. Seth. And Seth's name actually means appointed. So the names mean something. Okay. So now we see at the end of every single one of these people that they had other sons and daughters. So why aren't the other sons and daughters mentioned? Why specifically these people? Sometimes the hint of what isn't there gives us more inclination to look at what is. Why aren't these names there? Why are these names so special? All right. There's another clue. Enoch. Now, Enoch is mentioned in the New Testament. We understand that he was a preacher and a teacher and one who was prepared, and he's the only guy who didn't die. So he's the one you really want to look at because he starts making you look at this chapter and go, something's different here. Enoch is a teacher, and teacher is actually what the name Enoch means. And we know that he proclaimed judgment. How did he proclaim judgment? One of the ways Enoch proclaimed judgment is by using the name of his own son. His own son's name was Methuselah, and Methuselah's name actually means his death shall bring. So let's look at this for one second. We know that Methuselah was 187 years old when his son Lamech was born. And Lamech was 189 years when his son Noah was born. If you add those two numbers together, you get 369. Okay, why is that important? You'll find out in a minute. This means that Methuselah was 369 years old when Noah was born. Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. In the coming chapters, as we read about the flood, you'll find out that the flood happened in the 600th year of Noah's life. Well, if Methuselah was 369 years old when Noah was born, and Methuselah was 969 years old, 969 minus 369 is 600 So Methuselah died when Noah was 600 years old. And the flood started in which year of Noah's life? The 600th. So Enoch's prediction was accurate and you can find it out in the math that's laid out before us in chapter five. So this makes me wonder, is there more to look at here? Because we found Methuselah's name was really important. Enoch's name was really important. Seth's name was really important. Well, all right, let's look at them in order and find out what they say. So next to the names you wrote down, write down what the meaning of the name is. I'm going to give you the meaning. This comes from a very, very good Bible teacher named Chuck Missler. I recommend his teaching. Okay, so Adam. His name means man or mankind, right? So, And we know that. The scriptures point that out to us. Seth, his name, as it's told us, his name means appointed in the Hebrew. Now, the issue with chapter 5 is all of these names were transliterated so that we would say them, as the proper names rather than the meaning of the name. So what is the definition of Seth? The definition of Seth is appointed. The definition of Enosh is mortal, mortal, which again is a description of man's condition. We are now mortal. We die because sin has entered our, bl- our bloodstream, right? As I've heard other preachers say, all mankind because of Adam and Eve are SIN positive. It is now the truth and we are now mortal. Now Canaan, uh, his name, the definition of his name is sorrow. So I don't know what these parents were thinking about naming their children, but uh, that's a rough name to be living with the rest of your life, sorrow. Mahalalel, great name. The definition of Mahalalal, probably the best one in the bunch, the blessed God. All right? And then Jared, which is Mahalalal's son, uh, his, the definition of his name is shall come down. Shall come down. About Enoch, we talked about this. He was a preacher and a teacher, and he actually followed the subject of his name. He was a teacher. His name means teaching. And Methuselah, as we talked about, Enoch's prediction of the coming judgment of the flood. Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. You actually see how that plays out in the history of Genesis 5. Methuselah's son, Lamech, his name, Not surprising, it's where we get the name the the word lament from. It means the despairing. And then Noah, as pointed out in the scriptures, means comfort or rest. So let's put that all together. This is the order and the genealogy of chapter five. God is telling us something. And just like I pointed out at the beginning of this session, sometimes things are hidden, and when you find them, they're beautiful. The numbers that hid Torah always pointing to Yahweh in the first five books of the Bible is beautiful. What happens here is also really beautiful. Let me read it for you. The names and order of their definition. Man appointed mortal sorrow. That sounds like our human condition. Man has been appointed mortal sorrow. Yes, we have. The blessed God shall come down teaching. Whoa. That sounds familiar. What's he going to be teaching? The blessed God who comes down, what's he going to be teaching? Well, his death shall bring the despairing comfort. In Genesis 5, you have this message of the gospel hidden within the genealogy and the names. And each name was handpicked by God of the sons and daughters of these people who would be represented to tell us the story of the gospel. God himself Will come down. Our failure, our mortal sorrow because of our sin, but our failure will be dealt with by God coming down, and He'll be teaching about His death bringing us comfort. That is hidden within chapter 5. Now, a little bit more that I want to get into uh, just to kind of deal with this subject, although I think that's probably the most natural place to end and probably the most powerful because I skipped past something else. But anyway, let's deal with it. Genesis chapter 5, hidden messages. Genesis 4, dealing with the unfolding scriptural message of the spiritual battle that's going on. As we read through the rest of the text, you will see when God relays information and how Satan fights back and then how God wins no matter what. And he even finds interesting ways to do it within the text of the scripture, including Genesis 5. So this is going to be quite a journey as we walk through the book of Genesis, the major events and the major people and how it all ultimately points to Jesus. Because the other thing about Genesis 5 is the genealogy of Luke points right back to this genealogy. In the gospel of Luke, this genealogy is repeated towards the end. Because it was always meant to point us to Jesus. And we're going to see on every page Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself through your word, and giving us a story to tell, and even making the messages fun to find in boring places. God, there's something about you that just wants to reveal yourself to your creation and give us your story so that we can find you and have a relationship with you. Help us to understand that and share that with others as we go through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.